I'm Andy Stevenson and welcome to another episode of A Winning Mindset Lessons from the Paralympics, brought to you by the International Paralympic Committee and their long-standing partner Allianz. Together, our aim is that these podcasts can help you in your own personal and professional life. You'll be introduced to people who can inspire and change the way you think with their stories of facing life's challenges, often helped by having the right team behind them. If you haven't already, then please do subscribe so you can access all of our previous episodes with Paralympic stars, a president and even a Hollywood actor in there as well. My guest this week is an athlete who's broken so many records in the Paralympic world that he's fought hard to be allowed to compete in the Olympics as well. Marcus Rehm, known as the Blade Jumper, is a trailblazer for the science behind running fast and jumping far on the track but also in his day job at a prosthetics manufacturer in Germany, where he helps everyday people with their own limb impairments. Now, when I was preparing this interview, I was thinking about all the barriers you've broken, all the boundaries you've pushed. So we're going to focus on that sense of continually improving and doing things that nobody has done before. But first of all, just for the context, I'd just like you to tell the story of how you lost your lower right leg. Yeah, uh, well, my... Paralympic story started uh, 2003. I was always a sporty uh, child uh, and I was with my family on holidays. We were here in Germany. We had like a caravan, we had a little motorboat and we always loved doing water sports. Yeah, one evening I asked my dad to have another wakeboard session on the river. So yeah, he agreed. I invited some friends and family and uh, yeah, we went to the water. And yeah, doing wakeboarding, you basically try to jump on the on the waves of the motorboat then do some tricks i was uh, 14 years old during one jump i i lost the balance i fell into the water and uh, yeah there was another motorboat a random motorboat um, coming straight towards me and well i had a life jacket on i had my wakeboard on my feet so i couldn't swim away i couldn't dive and uh, yeah so uh, it just got me and i went with my uh, both legs into the engine of the motor I mean, clearly a very traumatic experience, uh, something happening very suddenly and very uh, violently like that, really. Um, how did you and your family cope with that trauma, both at the time in the short term and then kind of the months and, and years later? Nobody really knew how to deal with that situation. I mean, I came to the hospital, they did a surgery on me and they tried to, to well, to, to, to keep the leg. But uh, three days after, my parents had to make the decision, uh, like to 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 amputee, and I think it was one of the toughest decisions for my family. Uh, for me, to be honest, of course, it was a shock to hear about it. But to be honest, it wasn't a huge surprise because I kind of knew that this must happen because I've seen everything what happened, and I was always conscious. I knew it, it, it can't go well if they if they leave my leg there. So um, the surprise wasn't too big. But of course, the mm. shock when you wake up again, it was massive. And yeah, at the beginning it was tough, but uh, slowly we uh, came back to normal. I, I always planned to do the same what I did before my accident. And I think nobody was really sure if I'm able to do that. But I kind of proved every day that I... I'm exactly the same person as I was before, or I can do at least the same things I could do before. And yeah, so it was 
kind of easier for my family, for my friends and, you know, for all the people around uh, to deal with it because they've seen I've, yeah, I, I was good with it. And I guess one key part of getting back to what you were doing before and getting back to what you might call normal is is, is getting back involved in sport. So how how quickly did that happen after your accident? <laughs> well, it, it basically started straight at the hospital. I had really good friends and they brought me so many wakeboard videos, skate, surf videos. I loved this. The neighbor in my bedroom, uh, he was so pissed uh, he couldn't see water anymore because I watched all day long this, uh, this fun sport videos. Of course, there were some up and downs. And after I had, obviously, like everybody else, I guess, uh, also my downs, but I knew straight I want to be back on the wakeboard next summer and I'm definitely going to be back on the snowboard in winter again. Once I came back from uh, like my rehabilitation, from my physiotherapy, I, yeah, I just jumped on the bike. I once caught my dad because we were, we loved doing the winter sports. I caught him once on the, on the computer finding alternatives for doing snowboarding. And I went inside the room and I caught him and I said, what are you doing? said, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for an alternative that we can still go, go to the mountains. He said, Dad, I'm going back on the snowboard. No worries. And I tried everything that I did before. And I showed to myself, maybe it's not exactly the same how it was before. But even if not, I will find a solution how to make it that it's still possible. And uh, yeah, this was, uh, I think, one of the biggest things that helped me in that time. Marcus Reeve, jump number six. Oh, that's out there. That is long. What's he got? Well, he likes it. Oh, I can tell you why he likes it. 8.48, a new world record for Marcus Reeve. Now, for people who don't know, you're, you're an athletic superstar in the Paralympic world and actually, you know, <laughs> trying to get into the Olympic world as well, which we'll talk about uh, a bit later. But you're known as the blade jumper, the... The length of your long jumps rival and actually exceed not only your Paralympic rivals, but also your able body counterparts in, in lots of cases. And just to put your achievements in context for people, your jump of 8.4 metres in Doha at the World Parathletics Championships in 2015 would have won the Olympic title in Athens, Beijing and London. And then your jump of 8.21 metres at the Rio Paralympics would have also won the Olympic title that year too. So... When you started out using a blade, a running blade, did you ever imagine you'd be jumping that far? No, I, to be honest, I never dreamed of jumping that far. I, I loved jumping when I was a child already, when I had uh, two legs uh, back then. For, for me, at the beginning, it was like kind of a disabled sport, you know, and I didn't feel disabled. We as a Paralympic family proved or still proving wrong. So many people that had to have the uh, wrong impression about our sports. And that's exactly my goal with what I'm doing. And yeah, I just started uh, slowly. I started jumping, uh, don't know, I think 550 the first time, then six meters, 650. And I was the first athlete uh, in my category jumping over seven. And in London 2012, when I could win the title, there was a journalist asked me, Marcus, do you think it will be possible one day for a Paralympic athlete to jump over eight meters? And I smiled and said, yes, I think it's possible. It's may not me, but I think it will be possible one day. And well, a few years after, I was the one jumping eight meters first. I mean, what's fascinating is you, you work in prosthetics yourself, which we'll also 
get onto in a moment. But just taking you back to the 2000s, so I guess 2003, maybe four, when you're trying on your first artificial legs, and then when you moved into athletics and trying your first blade potentially. I'm interested to know how that felt that first time you went from what I imagine was a fairly ordinary, if I can call it a kind of medical artificial leg, to to something which is really designed purely for sporting achievement and speed and everything like that. What what was that feeling when you first tried on a blade and, and used it? Well, I, I do remember really well. It was was incredible. I have to be honest. I mean, uh, it all started, I came first time to my sports club, which I'm still competing for. And we spoke about doing sports and they were interested because they said, oh, you look sporty. Why you don't try athletics? And yeah, I said, yeah, well, I would love to try athletics. I just don't have a blade. You know, I don't have a running blade. And the same evening, the same evening, I got my first running blade. And I, I carried like... I would carry my gold medal today, you know, like very careful. And I was, and I knew I, I, I told it was Jörg Frischmann from my sports club. Um, and I said, I, I can't take it. I know how much worth it is. And he said, uh, yes, you will. Uh, it's an investment in your future. And this, this words, I will never forget. I could run again. I could sprint. I could jump on it. I mean, this was, was incredible. And even now I have to, I have to start smiling when I, when I bring myself back to this moment. I know this is a question you probably get pretty tired of, of of answering, but how much of your jumping ability is down to your body, your technique, and how much is it down to the blade technology? Because I ask that because, as, as, as we both know, some people do slightly doubt you and, and say it's all down to the blade in the same way they might say to Lewis Hamilton that it's all down to his car and not his driving skill in Formula One. Well, that's, of course, always a big discussion, and... If you compare it, like you just said, to, to the Formula One, I mean, put somebody else in Lewis' car, they, they won't be as fast as he is. Uh, he's just an amazing driver and give him a different car, he will be also good. And I think it's the same with the with the blade running or blade jumping. There are so many athletes and that's my best argument to say, well, if it would be that easy, if you think it's really so easy to jump 8 or 850 with such a blade, then why not everybody's jumping that distance? It's not that easy that you just put on a blade and jump 850. This is not possible. And it, it really got me at some point, you know, because if you jump 6, 7, 750, everything is good. But if you start challenging the able-bodied athletes, then suddenly you have an advantage. I, I, I just try to improve. I just do my job as good as, I, as, good as possible. And I just don't agree that somebody reduces it to, to the blade. The only people who I can judge my abilities or the correlation between the blade and my, you know, my, my body, other people here uh, that, that see me training, that see me running this morning, mm -hmm. uh, that see me laying on the ground that when I was super tired. These people know that it's, that it's not only the blade. Uh, usually people see me just competing on the big events and they see me competing well and they say, well, obviously his blade is giving him an advantage, but they don't see how I work out here. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's really a shame. And at some point at the very first time, it really got me. I mean, I have to be honest, it got me really emotionally because I thought, what did I do wrong? I mean, I never planned mm. to have an advantage with my blade. My, my first impression was, you know, I just want to replace what I've lost and I never want to have an advantage and it's still not my goal. 
I said when there was when the discussion came up uh, competing with AL buddies, I said let's make a let's make a study, let's make a research, because I don't want to have an advantage out of my plate. I don't want to be you know when I'm 60 having gray hairs. I don't want to sit in front of my TV and watching Olympic games and and remembering back that time and think, <laughs> oh God, Marcus, you did something wrong. That's not my goal. And I don't want to take anything away from Olympic athletes or from other athletes. I just would love to compete together. And that's that's my main goal. I don't want to have an advantage. And that's why I'm open to every study. And we tried to find out if there's an advantage. But three researchers from three continents, they couldn't find it out if it's mm. an advantage at the end of the day. So, well, I can't do more. Uh, I just try to... To stay open and uh, well if there's any cooperation we could try to find out then yeah i'm in <laughs> because there was also a study in cologne wasn't there the university of cologne where they they said your prosthetic is actually a disadvantage in the run-up exactly. portion of the jump it's advan- advantageous during the jump itself but overall no advantage whatsoever do you think actually it's a sort of wider point um if we take it outside of sport to society in general sometimes it can feel like society is okay with disabled people as long as they kind of stay over there, if you know what I mean. And if they come out of their lane, as we might say, or they try and uh, do things that are going to put people's noses out of joint, for example, that's when things, um, you know, society maybe turns against them. Yeah, exactly. That's the point. I mean, in my case, and that's why I kind of, you mentioned it at the beginning, I kind of like this word, the blade jumper. Because, you know... It's easier to lose against the blade jumper than to lose against an amputee or to lose against, you know, like a a handicapped person. These are all negative words and nobody as a strong young guy, you know, they don't want to lose against a a handicapped guy. And it was exactly the same in my sports club. I I had an athlete, he always spoke with me and said, okay, well, let's have a competition and I give you one meter towards me. And suddenly I become better. And then it was 50 centimeters. And then it became 20. And then we said, okay, who's jumping further? And this was the moment when the contact was not that good anymore. (laughs) There was a problem because, you know, losing against uh, a a parent big athlete, he couldn't deal with it. And that's why I just like to play with the words because losing against a blade jumper is way better because he (laughs) might have an advantage, you know. And I, I like to compare it in Germany with a football because uh, like, like soccer is really big in, in Germany. And, you know, many people made for many years jokes about the, the, the female football, which is not true. I mean, they are professional athletes and they're, they're really, really good. But if you would go back to your, you know, your, your buddies and you said, I would, I, I've lost against a few, a few women then they would tell you, well, it, it can't be like that. You know, you can't lose against a woman. But if you would tell, I, I just lost against uh, a team that was professional. And that is fine. You know, suddenly it's fine. Uh, it's still the same team, but it's uh, not the, well, the weaker um, gender. It, it, it's a professional team. So it's okay to lose against a professional team. And that's similar, you know. So I kind of like to play with the words to, to, to make feel the, the people a bit more comfortable. But I... I, I totally agree. It's it's really a problem, this acceptance. It, it has a limit at some point and I just want to change this limit because it's not right. And is that why you feel it's important to try and compete in the in the Olympics? I mean, why, why not just stay in the Paralympics? Well, for me, it's the main reason is that the Olympic Games, they still have a, 
a larger platform, you know, more people watching the Olympic Games. They are probably more interested in Olympic Games. And I just want to change it. I would love to compete at the Olympic Games, not because I would love to be an Olympic athlete. It's absolutely not true. I am a Paralympic athlete and it won't change for the rest of my life. And I'm proud of it. I'm a proud Paralympian. And I would love to compete at the Olympic Games to prove them everybody that it's worth getting some tickets for our events, that it's worth watching our events because we don't have to hide ourselves. I mean, we have the same results as Olympic athletes and, and we proved already that we can be even better sometimes. And there's so many inspiring stories behind. I mean, look through all the athletes. There are so many great stories behind that are, you know, great. And even I get sometimes goosebumps if I see people, you know, playing table tennis, having the record in their mouth. This was in London. I, I remember that moment. I thought, what the hell? I mean, <laughs> what's going on? Uh, that That's incredible. And I got inspired. And I just want to prove that. And I always said, I would love to compete at the Olympics, but I don't need to be in the ranking because I don't want to win a medal there. I win my medal at the Paralympic Games and that's my competition. I would just love to compete to, to make some advertisement for the Paralympic sports. Your world record, Marcus, in the Paralympic world is 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 8.48 metres. How much further do you think you can jump? And and is a 9-metre jump either within your reach or, or any human being's reach? <laughs> well, um, if you could see me now, I'm, I'm smiling uh, because, <laughs> you know, that, that that's uh, the direction I'm looking forward. Uh, for me, it's the next barrier, the 8.50. And I think the eight, eight meters fifty really separates the the good long jumpers from the very best. And of course, I want to be one of the very best athletes. And eight forty is my next goal. And it's a lot of work, but um, well, we'll see. Uh, if there will be a normal season next year, I hope with the right conditions, may this big mark uh, will fall. <laughs> Just one more question about distances, and, and and then we'll we'll move on to wider topics. If you do continue to jump further and further, do you think that will improve or reduce your chances of being allowed into the Olympics? <laughs> well, it obviously would uh, not improve my, my chances. Um, that's for sure. But, you know, I don't mind. I just give my best every day and I don't mind what other people think. I remember that time people thought I, I can't, you know, run. I can't play soccer with them i can't be uh, on the snowboard and um, i'm also tired of uh, explaining myself and yes i still try to to compete at able body competitions and even if if i don't be able to compete in the olympics one day i hope there will be a moment even when i'm retired in sports when this is more normal more more open or or kind of more connected, you know. I, I I dream that the Olympic and Paralympics that they are that they are closer together. I don't say it should be one event because I don't think it makes sense. But I would just like that we come closer and that we don't end the Olympic Games and start the Paralympic Games. That we just say, okay, we we keep going, you know. And now the Paralympics uh, athletes are coming, and and that's my dream actually that we kind of connect it more. That we do, for example, a competition in between, like a four by one hundred relay, different nations, 
two Olympic, two Paralympic athletes that we make like a symbolic race uh, to connect these two, uh, two great events. I think one of the things that people don't necessarily know about you, but it's really interesting, is that your day job is at a prosthetics manufacturer. You're helping other people with limb impairments. Are you dealing with those patients or perhaps clients face-to-face or are you working behind the scenes on the construction and research side of things? I basically work uh, face-to-face with the clients and that's exactly what, what I like doing. One client, he couldn't stand on two feet for, I don't know, for years. And then he suddenly decided by himself to cut the leg. I built him a prosthesis and he, he got up and stood the first time on his prosthetic leg. He stood the first time for many years on two feet. And he started crying. He was a, you know, tattooed guy, like a strong rocker style. And you think, okay, he's, he's a tough guy. But he started crying uh, because he was so happy and so uh, so touched by this moment. And, well, I felt the same. You know, I stood next to him and I was so, so touched because that was a great moment. Or I had a, I had a child, seven years old. He had an accident with a with a truck. He lost both of his legs. And I met him, this little child, in the hospital. And if I see him now, he's you know, he's he's doing everything. He's running, he, he's walking on his two two prostheses, and he's just doing what everybody else is doing as well. And now he started Paralympic swimming and it's just great to see the progress. And yeah, I, I could continue with this great stories. But, but but these stories must make you feel almost as good, if if not as good as, as winning medals, surely. Well, definitely, definitely. I have to say it is still great to win medals. And at the beginning when I started sports, I think it was all about winning this gold medal at the Paralympic Games. And it's still a great thing and it's still probably the best thing for an athlete to be on top of the podium, listen to your national anthem and get the gold medal. But I had this moment in in, in Rio that time. At some point during the competition, I, I remembered myself because the first three attempts, it was, they were horrible. I didn't know what was wrong. And, and I remember that moment quite well. I just remembered back. Okay. Well, it, it's not going well. And, I remembered myself of this young boy I just told you about, the seven-year-old. His parents, they told me once that he's a, he's a big fan and, uh, and he definitely will watch my competitions and they have to record everything whenever I'm on TV uh, so he can watch it. And I just thought, well, I want to make him proud, you know. I, I want to be a good role model for him. I'm here not to win, only to win medals. I'm, I'm here to, to kind of to inspire him, kind of to show him what to do in his life he, he can achieve it now even if i talk about it i i also get emotional because this these are the moments and these are also the people uh that make me happy in my job and when i came back from london he drew out a picture me at the uh, at the paralympic games so he, he dropped me and a long jump pit and wrote this is marcus uh, and put my blade on and it was so nice and when i see him the first time after the competition he looked at me he smiled at me came to me gave, gave me a hug and told me, Marcus, I'm so proud of you. And in that moment, I, I had to, to to fight with tears because that was maybe the the, the greatest <laughs> moment after after competition I, I ever had. I like to think of the idea of this young lad uh, becoming a Paralympian himself in several years, and you being there in the crowd to to watch. I'm sure that's crossed your mind. I'll be there. <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> Do you find? 
there are any transferable skills from your sports training into your into your work into your professional life well yeah definitely i mean of, of course there are some well yes some mindsets you 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 take with you but also some technical solutions and, and I, th- I think for all my clients it was interesting to to hear about it to you know they, they're always happy to see what i use and if i tell them okay guys this is the valve you know this is the vacuum valve i use uh, for my running blade then they get big eyes and said I, I want the same, you know. <laughs> they they kind of feel that uh, they're as fast or they can jump as as good uh, with with just the same parts as I use. And sometimes it's a bit funny, of course. But yeah, um, I mean, it is also fun, and I and, and 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 I just enjoy it. And I'm I'm a curious person. I just try to test different things out, uh, and I think that's the thing my clients can profit the most. That I I'm happy to try stuff, and that's what it makes. Well, easy for them to to believe me because I tell them exactly what I think. I say, okay, well, this part is great. I just got a nice compliment the other day. Uh, it was not so well. It was actually well the day before yesterday. Uh, yeah, my my client uh, she had a again a, um, a request for a very special solution, and she said to me, she said, you know, Marcus, the great thing is you never say this is not possible. You just tell me I do this the first time. And I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm assuming that long jump training involves a lot of repetition and maybe just changing something in a very small way and then doing another hundred jumps like that and then changing something again. And it's, it's trial and error. And and is that what you're saying that you bring that kind of patience actually and patience and repetition to, to your job, just trying to make small improvements for people all the time? That, that's for sure. I mean, if, if I tell people how long I have to work on my uh, long jump blade, how detailed the work is, they kind of understand that, you you know, you can't build up a prosthetic leg uh, within one day. It's not that easy. You have to you have to build something, you have to start somewhere and then you have to try it out. And when I started doing the long jump and I would have the same prosthetic leg as I do use today, I wouldn't jump. It is all about training. And there, I also had clients who said, oh, can't you give me just something different that I can walk better or faster? And I said, this is not how it works. You know, you have to, to walk faster or better on what you have. And if we reach that point, we can go further, but you can't make the, the third step before you make the second. So this is just not how it works. Do you use any sort of mental or psychological coaches as well to help you with that mindset of continually trying to improve? Well, at the beginning, I was not involved in in that subject. I just, you know, I I just trained. I did my I did my um, competition. I tried to, to do my best. But yeah, over the years, I got more into this um, how you prepare mentally, and this become. Yeah, I would think a, a big part in my in my sports, and not only in my sports, in my my daily routine as well. And resilience is a is, is a big subject. I I was really reading a lot about the subject, and yeah, I'm I'm also talk about a lot of the subject because I think it's it's quite interesting. And resilience is like you know a, a word that is used in different ways, and basically resilience is it's not coming from you know psychology; it's coming from material science. I always explain it's kind of a sponge, you know. You can squeeze the sponge, but it always comes back to its old form. And that's basically what resilience is. You have bad days. You have maybe a, a well discussion with somebody, uh, but you always have to come back to your old strength. 
And um, for me, I just found out some some strategies for myself. Such as the strategies you found? Yeah, well, for, for example, um, like, you know, controlling your impulses. Everybody's impulsive sometimes. And uh, for me, it's uh, one to, to how to um, control your impulses or how to how to deal with your emotions because for many people emotions are great things for some people emotions are negative things because they influence their behavior but what if you could use your emotions in the right way for a competition for example i i try to use my emotions very like clearly i have a, i have a strategy how to use my emotions preparing for my competition i work with um with music it's called like an anchor technique and for example i have playlists i only play once a year and it's during the most important competition during the year there are three songs on it i just yeah they're really powerful for me and if i listen to them somewhere else whether i have to leave the room or i have to shut the tv i really don't listen to them uh, well anywhere else than on the track just before i uh yeah go to the competition and to this playlist i i have just great memories i have good emotions very strong emotions and that's exactly why i use this playlist only once a year because i want to keep these emotions like really really strong and i just use it for the main competitions for different situations i think in your life you need different strategies and the more you have the better you can deal with different situations because the same strategy is not working for all the situations so you have to find different strategies uh, how to deal with um, yeah different situations or different emotions are you happy to tell us the three songs or is it a secret well it's still a secret nobody knows secret, these songs exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, i'm the only person uh, who knows this song yeah well, we've covered a lot of subjects there. I've got just one final question to you, which is a pretty broad one, but you've you've said and demonstrated both in your career and even just in this podcast that, that nobody should allow other people to set their limits for them. What advice do you have for someone who is constantly being told at the moment by other people that their goal is impossible? I would just say just start. Start trying it yourself, you know. Don't ask anybody for permission. That, that's that's how I started. Don't overthink it. Just just start doing it. A fantastic man, Marcus Rem, the blade jumper who continues to push the boundaries of human and prosthetic potential. If you enjoyed our chat, then please do subscribe to this Winning Mindset podcast and learn from other Paralympic greats such as Johnny Peacock and Tatiana McFadden. Next week, I speak to 13-year-old swimmer Husna Kukundakwe from Uganda, who, despite her tender age, has overcome huge challenges to become a figurehead for improving attitudes towards disability and inclusion in Africa. Don't miss that one.